The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Hi, everybody. Big welcome to anybody who's here for the first time tonight. You can introduce yourself to Jean, who's our program host, if you have any questions about the center or come up and introduce yourselves. It's nice to meet the people who are showing up for the first time. And we've uh, been looking at this particular set of teachings from the Buddha on emptiness, and I've been mentioning you know, to be careful because it's easy to either be put off or to get really interested in these teachings in a philosophical way, but then to miss the point. Because the point of all the Buddhist teachings on emptiness, it's, and it really corresponds in a general way to this whole path of awakening, right? So we're stabilizing present moment awareness. That's the whole point of you know, regular meditation practice. We're developing this very particular mental muscle that allows for this continuity of present moment awareness. So we stabilize present moment awareness in order to notice that this moment is empty, right? empty of something. So where it's, it's really about noticing what's not here. And that's called insight. So it's not so much noticing what is here, but noticing what's not here. So then the basic strategy of developing the continuity of present moment awareness, right? we might use something like tonight, the body, breathing in. So that's something we feel as sensation, right? Whether you feel it as an expansion of your belly or a touching at the nostrils or something in the ribcage. But one way or another, generally, unless the breath is really, really, really subtle, we feel the sensations of breathing in. And we take that simple contact, the mind, the knowing, knowing sensation of breathing in, and we use it as a cue to feel the whole body. Because there's some usefulness in terms of this training to have objects of awareness that are broad, like all body, whole body awareness, as opposed to focusing on a particular sensation in the body. It's okay, like if there's a strong moment of pain in the body or very distinct sound, it's okay because the mind, the attention is going to do it anyway to tune in to that particular object of experience. But then as a general training, it's nice to have a whole body awareness and it really lends itself for practicing during the rest of the day other than our formal sitting time because you've cultivated that whole body awareness as a habit. So then it's easier to sustain present moment awareness as you're just going about your day because the attention might go to conversation for a few moments, but even in between thoughts, interactions, the habit will be to go back to that whole body awareness, right? So we're tracking, we're cultivating that whole body awareness, sustaining awareness, and the more we do that, the more it just dawns on the mind what's not there, right? So we have, okay, breathing in is being known, our whole body is being known, we might even be aware, okay, thinking, planning mind is being known because distractions do arise. I'm sure you've noticed. 
strange sounds or strong sounds arise. Oh yeah, hearing's being known, hearing's being known. Sometimes sight, either an internal image comes to mind or you see something because your eyes are open. Seeing is being known. So we're just tracking the present moment experience and it's dawning on the mind because of the sincerity of our practice that it's always something being known. Something is being known, something is being known, something is being known. And as I mentioned, something begins to dawn in the mind, an insight that this experience of being a human being or the present moment is empty of anything other than something being known. Because we don't you know, necessarily think this, but the underlying cognitive experience is that there's, no, 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 I'm here, that there's something more, there's somebody experiencing the sensations that are being known or the sound that's being heard or the sight that's being seen. But we never find that, actually. So there's a real purpose to the trainings we do here. You know, this initial thing that gets emphasized of training in the continuity of present moment awareness it can almost seem like the whole practice, the whole tradition, is about being present. But actually that stabilizing of present moment awareness is for a purpose. Right? The purpose is insight. That's why as Theravada Buddhism, you know, the kind of Buddhism in Thailand and Burma, Sri Lanka, Cambodia and Laos, you know, it's called Theravada Buddhism. The teachings of the elders is what that word means. So in the in, in, as it's come to the West, we generally or more often refer to it as insight meditation or vipassana meditation. We really emphasize this word insight. That's what vipassana means. Because we're cultivating present moment awareness in order to have insight that this moment is empty of anything beyond something is being known. And the more the mind, the more that dawns on the mind, the very nature of something is being known. And the interesting thing is it's not just something is being known, but that's happening with such rapidity. I mean, we don't catch that because mostly we're in our thoughts. Like when I'm in my thought, oh, I'm sitting at Common Ground and meditating, that thought, as it repeats itself, because it seems like it's true now and it's true now, so that thought sort of, gets established, but it, it itself is changing, but we don't notice it because it's the same thought. Oh, yeah, I'm still at common ground. It's Sunday night, you know. And it creates this delusion, this appearance of stability, as if this moment is constant or set. But when we look with more integrity, more of that present moment, that honest present moment, wise sense that something is being known, something is being known. We really get that there is nothing static ever, whether you're at common ground or at home. or And that moment when the knowing, the consciousness, knows an object, right, something's being known, how long does that last before another moment is being known? and another moment is being known, and another moment is being known. The more we pay attention, the more mind moments we see of something being known, something being known, 
It can drive folks a little crazy. I mean, not really, but it can feel overwhelming. Remember, there are two general purposes of practice. One is to use our meditation practice to retreat, to seclude the mind. So instead of paying attention to the different objects coming and going, I pay attention to one object. So now I'm doing more of a concentration practice versus a wisdom practice. I pay attention to one object. could be a mantra, could be a visualization, could be a prayer, could be your breath. doesn't really matter, but you just use one object. You keep coming back. After a while, the energy of the mind starts to collect there with that one object, meaning every part of the mind is in alignment. It's all in the service of knowing that one thing. And that has a feeling of wholeness. And as that concentration develops, at some point the concentration becomes the object of awareness. The fact that the mind isn't dissipated, isn't scattered, is the object of awareness. You started with your prayer or your mantra or your visualization or your breath, but eventually the good feeling of the mind being unified itself becomes the object of awareness. And see, when that happens, then the mind the experience retreats, it secludes itself from the sense gates. So the eyes are still capable of seeing, the ears are capable of hearing, skin is capable of touching, mind is capable of thinking, but the attention, in a sense, is turned into the quiet, into the space, into the silence of the mind itself. So actually then that's the object that the mind is knowing. It's knowing the mind that has removed itself, secluded itself from its sensitivity to sound and sight and touch, smell and taste, and even thought to a large degree. So sometimes you hear about people having that kind of a set, and those are good sits to have, right? They're very pleasant. It's very healing, right? Because the mind is retreated. It has sort of a spiritual vacation from all problems because it's removed itself from the thoughts of problems. So it's had a vacation from being a somebody with problems, a somebody with hopes and fears, right? Because it's just in that quiet, still, expansive space. And then it eventually ends by either the sit gets disturbed or the sit's over or your knees start to hurt or For one reason or another, you come out of the sit and you're back to a more ordinary state of consciousness. But that's not a sit that we use to develop wisdom. Although the healing that happens and the calming that happens in that kind of sit is very useful for wisdom practice. But with wisdom practice, we're interested in seeing objects of experience come and go. It's not pleasant. The Tranquility practice, the practice that emphasizes calm and stillness and peace, right? That feels good. But then with whatever stability of awareness we have, then we can also train the mind in another kind of practice. So this may be more of a wisdom or an insight practice where we're not trying to concentrate the awareness. We're just noticing that in in every moment something's being known. 
breathing in. Right? Even in one in-breath, how many distinct sensations are being known in that whatever that five, seven-second period of time of breathing in? There are literally countless, there can be, if their awareness is steady enough, countless moments of contact where knowing mind knows a particular sensation. Boom, 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 boom. And it's not just the sensations that are being known. There might be a little thought in one of those moments. Oh yeah, I'm doing a good job. That's a thought being known, right? Or I'm not doing a good job, okay? Doubt's being known. So in any moment, like this moment for each of us, there are countless experiences of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch, the body, and objects of mind that are being known. And the more the awareness, the present moment awareness is stable, the more we see. And so this is not calming. This is what, like I said, it can feel a little overwhelming. Like there's no way to know everything. But the important thing is that experiences are being known and to notice the rapidity, how quick experiences are, how experiences don't stay, they don't last. Some object, some sound or sight or thought or emotion arises and is known and then it's gone because how else could the next moment of experience be known? Gone. Next moment of experience being known, gone. Now we generally miss this because we live with this obscuration, this surface level where our thoughts are basically narrating to ourselves based on some of those contacts of like seeing somebody or hearing something. And then we tell a story. Oh yeah, I'm at Comic-Con hearing Mark give a talk. And that concept and being attached, identified with that thought in a way that sort of repeats itself and, you know, different variations, then, but we don't, when I'm thinking that thought, oh yeah, I'm at common ground hearing myself talk, I don't realize that's just a thought being known and then it's gone. I'm not in that mode of present moment awareness. I'm in the mode of being identified with thoughts mistaking thoughts to be the reality <coughs> as opposed to what actually is that thought I'm at common ground. So knowing that thought I'm at common ground, what is that? It's just a, a thought, whatever, which is a pretty ephemeral thing and it being known and then it's gone. There's something else. It doesn't last very long. No thought lasts very long. No sight, no sound, no touch, no smell or taste lasts very long. So this is part of the training, is to see that what the experience is empty of. But we can't see what's not here unless we learn how to cultivate a stability of present moment awareness and track experience with some continuity. And only then can we see what's not here. What's not here is this presumed me, constant me, permanent me. It doesn't mean there isn't a self. It just means the self is something being known, something that's who we are, that's what we are, that's what's happening here. Something is being known. 
and we will never find anything outside of that. But it takes a lot of training. First of all, you have to be interested, like somehow what I'm saying or what you read, what the Buddha says, has to be interesting to you enough for you to develop this capacity to have the continuity of present moment awareness, to track experience with this much integrity, this much continuity. And then it just gradually dawns on the mind. Let me share a few things from... I thought I brought my glasses. It's not... This is from Saida Utejaniya. He's a Burmese Buddhist monk. He writes or said... Don't, I, don't identify with the effort. Instead, recognize that what is doing the work is effort plus whatever other qualities are included. These qualities are at work, not I, not me. And we see this initially with the hindrances, like we see the mind as being greedy or the mind as being impatient or the mind as being restless or sleepy And with practice, right, with the stability of present moment awareness, we see these different reactive patterns as just something happening. It's not really, it doesn't seem personal. You know, there I am being uh, impatient again or being defensive again or being, you know, whatever. We just notice it in a more impersonal way. Oh yeah, when things are like this, this pattern arises it's just something being known, something that's been in set of motion, and I don't need to be attached. I don't need to identify with it. Right? And it's the same with wisdom. You know, we think tomorrow I have to do Monday. But is that actually true? Or even now, you may think, oh, I have to listen to Mark. Does there need to be a sense of a me listening in order for listening to happen? I mean, for sure, the mind can construct the idea that there's a me here listening to the talk. But stop doing that for a moment and you'll see that listening continues to happen. Seeing continues to happen. Like we think I'm the one who's here being sensitive to what's going on. But is that actually true? Like, can you stop being sensitive? If you're really the one doing it, can you stop it? No. Sensitivity is just part of the natural system of mind and body. Sensitivity, you could say, sensitivity is happening in these six ways, right? The five physical senses and thinking. And these things are happening in a lawful way dependent on what's been set in motion, you know, these innumerable causes and conditions behind what's been set in motion. So we're just learning to observe things, see things, know things as they actually are. And in doing that, we see what's not there. We see that it's nature, that there's no permanent entity, essential entity, that can ever be found. So when you feel like you're a suffering being, really embarrassed, really defensive, really caught up in some way, you'll see that suffering is, right? There's no denying, suffering is. There's stress here. Things feel tight. But no sufferer can be found. 
Or in another moment, you're feeling really light and happy, really good. And you'll see, yeah, good feelings are being known. But no one who's happy can be found. Where's the one who's happy? There may be happiness as something being known or sadness as an emotion being known. But that's but it's empty. The moment, any moment, is empty of something more than that. But of course, our habit is to keep presuming there is something that all of this experiencing refers back to. Right? That's the essential problem. That we've gotten basically gotten confused by the stories the thinking mind tells. Nothing is inherently wrong with thinking, but the mind can misunderstand thinking. Right? Presume that it's more than what it is, which is something being known. Now, I know I don't expect that what I'm saying is going to change things, but it might inspire you to, to develop the stability of awareness and observe in this way. Something is being known. Something is being known. Let me read a little bit more. Again, from Saida Utejaniya, this Bur- Burmese monk and uh, meditation teacher. He, he does come to the States sometimes. I've been able to practice with him a number of times. He writes, there's a well, well-known saying in Burma, meditation is meditating, but you are not meditating. When we begin to practice, we think, I am practicing. But later we realize that it is just the mind that is practicing. This is a natural progression in the development of awareness. And you'll see this naturally. Like Initially it feels like, oh yeah, I'm trying to be mindful I'm bringing my attention back to the breath or back to the whole body. I'm noticing it's just thinking being known. And meditation feels like a burden. It may be a burden we're willing to undertake because you know we're told to or we think it's a good thing. But it feels stressful in a way. But good too. You know, I'm not saying it's all bad. But it does feel like work. Sound familiar? Right? Doesn't meditation you've got to get yourself to the cushion or to the chair? even though you don't want to or even though you're late and you got more important things to do, but you know you feel bad if you don't do it, so I'm going to do it anyway. It all feels very personal, you know, and then while you're sitting, it's like you want to think about this or get lost in that or fantasize and, oh no, that's not it. You know, and this guy's going to get ahead of me in the practice, my friend, and I don't want that person to be better at the practice than me, so I better stick to it and and on and on like that. It's all very, seems very personal, feels very kind of tight in a way because it's about me. But then there will be moments, if you stick with it, where the practice and the wisdom and the competence and the habit of coming back to the present moment, it will just start to seem like nature. It's now the nature of the habits of the mind to notice. Have you had moments during the day where all of a sudden the mind was aware. You didn't do something. You didn't like a moment before that say, you know what, I think I'm going to be aware. Okay, now I'm aware. No, the awareness was just there. It arose. Why? Well, natural causes and conditions. Something had been in set of motion. Maybe because you've been sitting most of the days, you've got that habit now has some more momentum. And the way that momentum manifests is you have more organic, spontaneous moments of 
awareness during the day where you just realize, oh, this is being known. It's like this now. This is just an experience being known. Without those words going through your mind, of course. Right? I'm just saying that to kind of convey, the, make the picture. Right? Just all of a sudden there's awareness. Oh, it's like this. And to start noticing moments of wisdom, moments of awareness, moments of spontaneous kindness, to see that as not you, but just nature. In the same way when you're a moment of being mean, of being deluded, being reactive, don't see that as you. That's just something that is arising due to causes and conditions. Oh, the point, the job for wisdom is just to recognize, oh yeah, now this is being known. And it's such a relief not to have to feel proud when something wholesome is happening. Still, we recognize this is wholesome. The wisdom in the mind knows the difference between skillfulness and unwholesomeness, right? But we don't have to feel burdened by being the bad guy or feel proud by being the good guy. It's just something being known, something being known, something being known. And you may think, well, if I don't take it personally, what's going to keep me moving in the direction of being more skillful? Well, you could just as well ask, what would keep me from being, why would I cultivate unskillfulness? I mean, it's sort of interesting. Who do we become? What do we become when attachment, when identification, when the habit of erroneously projecting a sense of separation, a separate self, a permanent self, when that ceases, what happens? Do we become some kind of demon? We should check that out. That's what we're checking out. You know, like can we, through the cultivation of present moment awareness, and then through the insight of what's not here, what this moment is empty of, right? And then that insight leading to less and less attachment, less and less identification with both the unskillful and the skillful, right? It's not that we are no longer attached to the unskillful, but we're clinging to the, uh, to the unskillful, but we're clinging to the skillful. No, that's not how the insight that leads to non-attachment works. It's non-attachment to what's being known. That's everything. I mentioned last week, for those who were here, this passage from the Buddhist teachings where he talks about the totality, right? What's the totality? Remember this? Eyes and seeing, ears and hearing, nose and smelling, tongue and tasting, skin and touching, right? Sensations, mind and thinking. So the totality are the sensitivity in these six ways. And there is nothing beyond that. Every moment, something being known and nothing beyond that. And I mentioned, did I mention this last week? You know, we've raised money, there's a billion dollars. If you can find ever something beyond that, something beyond something being known, something being known, something being known. I mean, insight arises, but that also turns out to be something being known. Freedom might be arise, uh, might arise. That's something being known. So whatever it is, it's just that. 
And the question is, who do we become when we pursue this? Let me read one more passage from Saida. He says, Saida is just the word, by the way, that means teacher, like a monastic teacher. They're called a Saida. And so his name is Tejaniya. We don't complain about what's happening, about what is happening. Everything is experience. Whatever is happening is happening through cause and effect. They do their job. We do our job. What should we do? We just recognize what is happening. Everything is nature. right? Everything is nature in the sense that it is it arises and is being known. Something arises and being known. And if you have a thought, no, 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 there's this whole world here. That's just what that is. It's a thought being known. No, no, but I see things. Seeing is being known. Well, I just don't believe that. You know, that's stupid, okay? So that, like if there's like a crunch, oh yeah, that's a feeling being known, like that aversion, that rejection. It's just always just something being known, moment by moment by moment. And that's really the essence of this path of awakening is all the different techniques that allow you to have a continuity of present moment awareness. We use that continuity, that stability of present moment awareness to train the mind to know something is being known, something is being known, something is being known. We know that it's just the activity of the body, the five physical senses, or the activity of the mind. I mentioned last week, and you can read more about it, in Guy Armstrong's book, for people who are reading this complimentary text, Emptiness, a Practical Guide for Meditators. We have it at Moon Palace Books, a wonderful independent bookstore about five or seven blocks south of here on Minnehaha Avenue. They'll sell it for 20% off if you want to get a copy. You don't need it, but it's there as a complimentary text for anybody who wants it. But the other way to think about this is body, and then four aspects of the mind, so that we don't get confused by the mind. So the four facets or aspects of the mind, perceiving, that's one of the things the mind does. It keeps recognizing. Of course, when I recognize Scott sitting at the back of the room, that perception, that recognition, that memory happens because of past experience, right? And even if I saw somebody I've never seen before, I'd recognize that I don't know that person. I've never seen. So that you can't help but perceive. That happens. You don't do that. And then there's a feeling tone. Whether it's a, I'm recognizing a touch or a sight, a sound or a thought or an emotion, there's always a feeling like it's pleasant, it's unpleasant, or I can't tell whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, so it's neutral. So there's always a feeling tone, and that also arises based on previous conditioning, uh, experience. So perception just happens. Nobody turns it on and off. Feeling tone happens. You don't have any control over that. And then there's this whole catch-all category we call mental fabrication or mental formations, constructions of the mind. So when I have a contact, I see something, I hear something, I think something, there's perception, there's a feeling, and there's some mental activity, often leading to intention, an intention to think, an intention to say something, to do something, right? That we call this sort of catch-all category of mental formation, 
And then there's this part of the mind we call consciousness, the fact that things are being known, right? that they're illuminated, that they can be known. We just call that part of the mind consciousness. Right? So these four aspects of the mind. So we cultivate the stability of awareness to see that this stuff is being known. Activity of the mind, you know, in particular these four aspects or facets of the mind, perceiving, feeling, mental constructions or intending, and knowing, the consciousness part, and the five physical senses. Activity of the body, activity of the mind is being known. That's the, in the end, I mean, there's a lot of things we do with the stability of awareness. Like I said, really rest in tranquil states and peaceful states. That's a good thing to do with the continuity of awareness. But even that good thing of having deep and peaceful sits is eventually in the service of observing the activity of the body and the mind being known. Activity by, and the rapidity of that. That there's endless experiences coming and being known, arising, being known, passing away. And this happens so fast. And we really see the ephemeral changing nature. We see the impersonal nature, like it's just happening according to causes and conditions. I'm not doing this, right? This, these objects of experience that are coming and going, that's just nature. And that they're being known, that's just nature too. We don't do that. There's nobody back there doing this. We can't find it. We can't find that imagined permanent me who's doing this or who this is happening to or who owns this. Do you find that? We never find it. And now we don't have superficial awareness. Now we have real, clear, stable, present moment awareness. And if it were here, it would be known. But all that is known are these different objects of experience being known. And that dawns in the mind. It's kind of an earth, I mean, little glimpses, but it's an earth-shaking insight to see what's not there, that it's only something being known, objects of experience being known, and nothing else. So that's why this term, emptiness, is used in um, kind of an important, empty of what? Well, it's empty of anything other than something being known. And then the interesting thing is just to see what the fruit of that is. Like, what is the effect on the mind in seeing that? We're transforming our understanding. And we're fearless, right? We're willing to go into this new territory. Like, isn't it, doesn't it make sense that we're willing having stabilized present moment awareness, seeing things as they are, just to take it for wherever it leads. Like, do we live in a place where it's actually safe to cultivate a clear, straightforward, stable, kind, present moment awareness? And whatever that leads to, like whatever transformation that leads to, I'm okay with it. Because the thinking mind will construct some pushback. I mean, one of the most obvious pushbacks is, this is stupid. You know, like, 
Being present would be a stupid thing. (laughs) But isn't isn't that thought a compelling thought sometimes in the middle of a sit when it feels boring? Yeah. But we get attached to that thought. We personalize, like, I'm talking to myself now. That's what we think. So we're no longer aware that's just a thought. And we think, yeah, it is stupid. And we think other things, like, I could be doing this. There could be an important news item on the Internet. Maybe I should check my email, right? Or whatever people check these days. (laughs) I'm a little bit behind the times. But whatever you check, it's like, and then we're gone. So we have to be aware we have to, there needs to be enough wisdom not to be seduced by whatever shows up in the present moment because what actually is it? It's just another phenomenon of the mind or the body being known. Oh, now it's this being known. And it might have a feeling like a really compelling emotional feeling in the gut, in the heart. Like, oh, well, that's just a feeling being known. It's just sensation. It may be subtle, it may be you know, unnerving, but it, in the end, it's just sensation being known. You see how there's something really cool, equanimous, peaceful in this way of relating to sense experience. You're falling in love. Like say something amazing is happening to you. You've never thought you'd meet a person like this. You know? And they're just great. So what is that? Well, it's a thought being known, like a mental image of the person being known, a feeling somewhere in your body, maybe a lot of different places in your body being felt. But whatever it is, it can be deconstructed if you're honest, if the awareness is stable enough. It's just one experience being known after another. That's what being in love is. What is wanting to kill somebody? It's the same thing. It's just something being known. I know it seems really rich, but that richness can be seen clearly as something being known, something being known, something being known. Is there anything more in a moment where you want to kill somebody than that? Or you want to live the rest of your life with someone? Is there ever anything more than something being known? Or having a profound insight, a life-shaking insight, it's still something being known whether it's sensation or some one of the five physical senses or some aspect of the mind. The most peaceful meditation is something being known. And the reason the Buddha taught this, it's not so much about answering the question, who am I? It's really about getting clear about the causes for stress. Because the reason there's stress is because this sense, this permanent sense of me, this sense of separate me being apart, if that presumption, if the mind is identified, clinging to that presumption, that idea, that construction of the mind, then fear makes sense. Then lust and greed and hate makes sense. Fear makes sense. All of the toxic or afflictive emotional states make sense when there's that presumed sense of separation there. So 
the purpose of this is it leads to an understanding that removes that existential angst, fear, that squeeze in the heart. And that's the telltale sign, right? That's how you know your practice is bearing fruit. It's not because you've had a good sit, as nice as that quiet, peaceful state is, if in 10 minutes later when the sit's over, you're a jerk again or you're you know, fighting or obsessing about something on the internet, well, what good was the peace if it goes away? I'm not interested in a nice experience. I want to be free in the messy world that I live in, right? In the relationships that I inhabit. I want to be free even when I'm dying or when a loved one is dying or when I, you know, notice how I'm complicit in so many of the cycles of suffering in the world, right? The way I live, how I'm acting out, the cultural biases that I've been that have been programmed in, inevitably, you know, in the world that I inhabit. I want to know how to be a human being here and now in this world, a kind and wise human being. So to do that, we have to abandon, we have to be willing to abandon what isn't true. These, just like, you know, we maybe used to think there was a monster in the closet, but after we checked enough time, we realized that closet is empty of monsters. You know, I've checked. And it's the same thing. We feel that there's this, you know, neurotic, little boy who needs to be loved, who never is loved the way he needs to be loved and isn't seen in the way he wants to be seen and is afraid of not being good enough and you know wants to be wise and want people to like his talks and <laughs> you know it's like there's no way to find real release, real happiness with that idea being true. But it's actually pretty easy to be released, alive, kind, and wise when the mind recognizes that's just a thought, that's just a feeling being known. Right? It doesn't mean the mind isn't neurotic. It doesn't mean this heart doesn't get defensive. It just means that there's more and more wisdom more often that recognizes that's just a feeling being felt. That's just the mental image being seen. That's just the thought being thought. That's just the sight being seen. That's just the sensation being felt. And again, when that habit of identifying with the self reasserts itself, then the wisdom knows that's just the thought being known. That's just an emotion being felt. It knows that actually it's just something being known and it's empty of anything else. In the same way a child knows that's just a closet being seen, that's just a shadow being seen, that's just a crunch in the heart being felt, you know, fear being felt, that's just an emotion being known. Right? It's not more. There's not actually a demon. 
There's no way to go beyond heaven and hell, good and bad, all the dualities, praise and blame, until we start training the mind to have this continuity of awareness and start seeing things as they are. This is how we uproot suffering in the mind. So I'll leave it here. We have 10 minutes or so. It'd be nice to hear from some of you what you've been learning in your practice now that we've been talking about this, these teachings for about a month now. We'll continue working. By the way, those who are reading along, we're chapters 4 and 5 for the next week or so, if you're following along in the book. Anybody like to begin? What comes to mind from the talk tonight? Yeah, John, you want to start us off? Um, when the, you said that about, um, I'm John, or you said that, um, the, uh, looking at, if you look in a closet enough times, you realize there's just no monster in there. And, um, uh, and when you said that, it occurred to me that I never used to do that when I was a kid. And um, I just, you know, just lay there in the dark, quaking or something. Metaphorically, anyway, and, and and but when you started to realize that um, now, when I'm afraid of something, there's always something, and um, and I um, and I do what I think I'm supposed to do now, is which is uh, just be with it, <laughs> and um, uh, and then it just sort of. It's, it, typically just slips away even if it's kind of important and um and i realized that that's checking in the closet yeah and um and sometimes we can't go right to the closet because the belief that it's dangerous is so compelling right so we might need to orbit it for a while kind of and then go under the covers and you know or do whatever we do like there's a real in Western psychology, those of you who are therapists know, like to desensitize ourselves to our fears, right? It has to be an act, like come from a place of faith. Like it's safe enough to look. It's safe enough to feel. And we can do that when we're sitting. And let's say, just let's say something not so charged, like a monster in the closet, just pain in the knee. And you can just ask yourself an honest question. Is it safe to feel what it feels like now? This throbbing or burning or whatever the sensations are. Is it safe to relax with the sensations here? Is it okay? And then you check. You do like, okay, I'm going to feel what I feel. You're going to, like, the knowing mind is going to connect with the sensations of pain in the knee, okay? Throbbing is like this, okay? Can that be okay? So you've heard me say this sometimes in the guided meditation. Feel free to use that. Like, Ask yourself, can this be okay? Is it safe to relax? Is it safe to see this, feel this clearly? And check it out. And then if it's not, it's okay to turn the attention away from something that feels overwhelming. Well, wh- Then ask yourself, for example, well, what can I be intimate with now that feels safe? Well, maybe I can open to the experience of hearing. Yeah, that doesn't feel dangerous. So I'll practice being intimate with hearing. Hearing is being known. 
Now it may not, the monster in the closet or the pain in the knee may be the predominant experience in the present moment, but the wisdom in the mind is choosing not to go there because it doesn't feel confident that it's safe to feel the pain in the knee or some old painful memory. So I'll go to something relatively neutral. That's why we train with something like whole body awareness. Not for everyone, but for most people, it's a pretty neutral experience to breathe in and feel the whole body just as it is. It doesn't mean it's pleasant, but it doesn't necessarily or often feel threatening. right? So we start generally training with experiences that are relatively neutral or even on the pleasant side of the equation. Yeah, thanks, John. Who'd like to go next? Yeah, Robert. Uh, Robert, after I finished the sit this evening, I was I the word that came up for me was samadhi, and I'd like you to explain that. I know the word. I think I know what it means, um, but I'd like you to say something about that. Yeah. So generally, we we notice two kinds of samadhi, or you could say two causes for samadhi. And the best translation for that word is like a collected or unified mind. And it feels good when the mind, when the energies of the mind are both collected and another slightly more sophisticated, it's like all aspects of the mind are working harmoniously generally to connect with things as they are. So no part of the mind is working against itself, if that makes sense. So the mind is harmonious, it's unified. So there are two causes. One is, like I talked about earlier in the evening, the mind secludes itself from what's going on in the present moment. It basically retreats back into itself. And so the mind, the knowing of the mind, is knowing the quiet of the mind itself, which is pleasant. So it's like the mind is noticing noticing how pleasant it is for the mind to be secluded, not aware of what it's thinking and seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching. And so you see there's a positive feedback, like it notices how pleasant it is to be secluded. That makes the moment more pleasant. The more pleasantness draws the attention more fully into the experience, and then that's even more pleasant And see, this is how a concentrated mind sort of builds on itself. So the trick for getting like one of those amazing (laughs) moments you sometimes read about in books by Buddhist authors is you've got to get to the point where the mind is stable enough, collected enough that it starts to feel good. And then the pleasantness of that unification slowly becomes more and more the object that the awareness is aware of. And the mind then is less aware of what it's thinking and seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and touching because it can't do two things at once. And so if it's really interested in the quietness and the peacefulness and the ease and tranquility and the quiet, then... It's taking the attention off of the five physical senses and taking its attention off of the thinking, the more gross aspect of the mind, and instead is wholly aware of the silence of the mind, the space of the mind, the stillness of the mind, right? 
the mind that's not attending or not touched by its sensitivities to the more gross aspects. That's one kind of samadhi, right? And that you call that the samadhi of seclusion, the mind that has secluded itself from the kind of gross levels of sensitivity to thought and the five physical senses. Now the other kind of samadhi, that unification, the whole mind working together, is the wisdom that I described. But so you're, the mind is seeing something is being known, something is being known, but it's not confused by anything that it's being known. So it might see a kind of seductive emotion, but it knows. That's just a, an emotional feeling being known or a mental image being known or a sound being known or a sensation being known. But no object that's being known confuses the mind. The mind never supposes there's more there than something that's being known. You get the same kind of samadhi. Well, not the same kind because the root of the samadhi is different. Here, the root of the samadhi is the not being confused by the objects that are being known. So there's no, there's nothing there agitating the mind. So it's very even. You get the same kind of joy, the same kind of energy, but it's a different flavor than when the mind's really secluded. But the unification can be just as strong, right? Because nothing is disturbing the mind. It knows. The wisdom knows. So this is the samadhi that arises because of wisdom. And the other samadhi is the samadhi that arises because of seclusion. That's a good way to understand it. Yeah, thanks, Robert, for the good question. It's 8.30, so we need to leave it here. Thanks for the comments. Just take a few seconds, let go of the words. Just enough time to take a couple breaths together. Appreciate the silence for a moment or two. And appreciating all the women, men, other folks who had busy, complicated human lives. But somehow these subtle, refined teachings were passed down generation by generation through so many different cultures, so many different generations and lands somehow here in Minneapolis. Now it's our turn in our complicated lives living in this messy world with its, its injustices and beauties. Now it's our turn to develop the practice, gain some insight, some wisdom, and become part of the causes for real peace and freedom from suffering in our world. So may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.